You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. So at this time, I'm going to invite you to stand up for the reading of God's Word. Um, And here at Story City, we stand up in order to uh, just physically display the sort of reverence uh, that we desire to have for God's Word. And it just kind of uh, shows this attitude of attentiveness, like we're ready to hear what God has to say. So at the end of this, uh, I'm going to say this is the Word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Luke chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. All right. Here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Ooh, I got a real candle up here and just spilled some wax. Beautiful. I lit this, so it's my fault. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Happy second week of Advent. It's coming. Christmas Day is coming. Super excited about that. I don't know. Some of you are excited. Some of you are nervous. Some of you are afraid. It's all going to be okay. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good season. Um, you guys are going to have a great time, and it might be a little hectic, but... Um, Jesus is still on the throne, so we're all good, all right? Uh, My name is Pastor Samir. I have the honor of being one of your pastors. I say one of because we are led by a collective or a plurality of elders within the location, and so each location has its own elders, and we're so grateful to be able to lead in that capacity because we believe in mutual leadership, in collective leadership, and uh, I think that's a a central part of who we are, and we're grateful that you're with us. Um, I'm excited to continue our series in Advent. We, calling it, we are calling it As We Wait, as you can see the beautiful sign on the stage, As We Wait, As We Wait for Jesus, as the King Jesus, the baby coming, uh, and also as we wait for his return, as we wait for him to come back again, uh, we are waiting uh, in a way that is surrendering and glorifying to him. This week, we're calling it As We Wait for Fulfillment, As We Wait for Fulfillment. Last week was As We Wait for Hope. This week as we wait for fulfillment. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into today's message. Jesus, we thank you for just an awesome opportunity to wait for you, to rest in you, to prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls for you because you are why we are here and gathering today. God, we pray that this word may penetrate our hearts in a way that is new, in a way that is refreshing, in a way that is transforming so that we can see you for who you truly are, Jesus. Shape our hearts, shape our minds um, to grasp who you are in this Advent season. May you be glorified and honored as we worship you and as we preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Christmas is here. It's coming really close. So I don't know about you, but I have two little girls. 
um, or maybe you remember when you were a little kid, uh, always desiring and wanting something for Christmas, that gift that you've always wanted, that, that toy, that, that special gift that you tell your parents, that you write the letter for Santa, whatever it might be, you're anticipating this gift that you believe is going to fulfill you forever, right? And I don't know about you, but our little ones every single year desire something. And they write down uh, what they want. They tell us what they want. And then we get them what they want on Christmas morning. They're excited. They're happy. They're, they're playing with their toy. And then a week later, we don't even know where that toy is. Our, our parents are like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, there is something about the desire to want something, to want a gift. But yet, for some reason, it, it doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't last long until we're like, okay, what's next? Okay, what do I want now? And and my kid with just thinking about how kids do that, but in reality, this is all of humanity. This is all of us. The, The new shiny thing, the fun thing that we want so bad, and when we receive it, we enjoy it for a moment, and then it's just like, what's next? It doesn't fully satisfy It doesn't fulfill us the way we had thought it would fulfill us. How true that is. We desire and want more and more all the time, but yet we struggle to find that fulfillment. We struggle to find that adequate fulfillment. And see, in the story of the Magi that uh, Chris read for us, I'm going to read that whole section for us, we see wise men, Magi, in their story, seeking a gift, seeking a gift, but also bringing a gift, seeking a gift and also bringing a gift. And through their journey, their desire is to find fulfillment in what they are looking for, is to find fulfillment in the gift that they are searching for. And so I want to read this entire passage and to really grasp what is it that the Magi are looking for and who are These magi. We'll talk about that a little bit. Let's read it together. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. It reads this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star As it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, and he asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They responded, In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. He's quoting a a prophecy here. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. He's lying there. Verse 9. After this interview, 
The wise men went their way, and the star they, they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped right over the place where their child was, where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was the time to leave, they returned to their own country by other route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So a lot of us have heard this story of the Magi. A lot of us heard this story of what someone called the wise men or the three kings. Um, and, and I think a lot of the times we don't fully grasp who are these guys? Who are these guys coming to Jesus and why are they bringing gifts and why are they looking for him? I think there's a, there's a great point to that. I want to talk about a little deep dive into who these magi are um, and so we can grasp the true fullness of this story. So the story matters. The magi matter to the heart of why Matthew is mentioning them here. So what does magi mean? Magi actually means magician or astrologer. And when we say magician, it's not like David Blaine or whoever those people are. Not that type of magician. But it's, a, it's someone that is, is very keen to the astrology. Um, and, and also they reference them because they are also experts in interpreting dreams and visions uh, or other strange happenings that happen. All right? So that's what the word magi references to who these guys are. But also we know that they are coming from the far east, all right? They're coming from the far east, from where, from where they are in Jerusalem, even further east from there, okay? Which actually is, is telling us something. There's, there's a high, high likelihood. I say that because we don't know actually for certain, but there's a high, high chance that these are non-Jews. They're not Jewish men, all right? It's because they're really from the far, far east, and so, and also, some of us suggest, or some people have suggested, that there's only three of them. But if we actually read the passage, it never references the number of men that are there. Some of us are like, oh, every time we read it, I just thought three. The reason why a lot of people think three is because they brought three gifts, three types of gifts. But actually, it does not reference three at all, which is interesting because the reality is, is that these men were significant. That they were men of power and that they were men of major wealth. How do we know that? Because the gifts that they bring are gifts that have to only come from someone who can afford them, which is someone that is wealthy. All right, these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are for the wealthy. The gifts that they bring reference that they have power. Also, They've come a long way on a long journey to come see Jesus, and it costs a lot of money to come in, in that far a route uh, to come and find him. So we know that for sure that he, they're significant in that sense. And also, because they are possible royalty or possible really high-end uh, people, they probably came with an entourage, like very likely that they had a lot of people come with them to take on that road uh, there. So it wasn't just three guys. It was like a big group, probably like 20, 30, 40 people walking with these men trying to find this King Jesus. Who is this guy 
that they're looking for. So these mysterious men searching for something and someone significant matters. See, we see also in the book of Daniel and other areas in the Old Testament where they reference the Magi, where they reference these types of people, not specifically these men, but Magi in general. See, these type of men were also very well studied and knowledgeable of many things like science, politics, and religion. So they were very, very smart men that understood the ins and outs of culture at that time. So it is very likely that these men that were on this journey were very well known of the Torah or the Jewish scriptures. See, they weren't Jews, but they were probably well studied and they knew what the word of God said. So why was the star and, uh, in this story significant? Why was there a star and why did it matter in this story? I think a lot of times we just think, oh yeah, there was a star over the, but like the Magi who are astrologers that recognize this phenomena happen and that they had a history of understanding scripture, they came in droves trying to find who this king is. That matters. Putting all the dots together. So why was the star in the story significant? First off, because it was prophesied over 700 years prior to this event. We see in Isaiah 60, one through six, this prophecy that happens that Isaiah tells that almost tells this exact scene to a T. It's pretty significant. Let's read that together really quick. It says, arise, shine. Remember, this is 700 years before they even ever, Jesus even came to earth. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away, and your daughters will come on the hips of nursing mothers. Then you will see uh, and be radiant, and your heart will tremble and rejoice, because the riches of the sea will become yours, and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Verse 6. Caravans, kind of suggesting there's a lot of people, of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and, and Ephah. All them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. Wow. And so Sheba, just so you know, I looked it up. Sheba is actually far east of Jerusalem. It's actually considered in modern day, as modern day Yemen. So you can kind of get an idea of where that is. So we don't know exactly if they came from Yemen, but this prophecy is suggesting that they came from the Far East and they came to worship the king and they were guided by a brightness and they brought frankincense and gold. That's significant. That's significant. Another thing that's significant that I think was interesting as I was doing some studying, uh, theologian N.T. Wright suggested another reason why these men followed this star. These magi men who understood the the skies, who were scientists, but also politicians, but also understood religious writings. He writes this in his um, commentary on this section. He says, scholars have labored to discover what Matthew's star might have been. Halley's comet appearing 
appeared in, in 12 to 11 BC, but that would be very early to this story, so it's probably not that. Or it could have been some kind of supernova. More likely is the fact that the planets, Jupiter and Saturn, they were in conjunction with each other three times in 7 BC, around 7 BC, which is around the time Jesus was born. Since Jupiter was known as the royal or kingly planet, and Saturn was sometimes thought to represent the Jews, the conclusion was obvious. A new king of the Jews was about to be born. We cannot be certain of this if this is why the wise men and, and the learned men had come from the east, but even if it wasn't, nothing is more likely than that thoughtful astronomer or astrologer noticing strange events in the heavens that would search out their earthly counterparts. So he's suggesting that these well-studied men understood the skies and they recognized that Jupiter and Saturn were in conjunction and Jupiter and Saturn represent kingship and Jews. And so they had this, you know, this ability to recognize and think the king of the Jews is here and I know the scriptures, so he's gonna come this way. So this is a suggestion. We don't know if that's exactly what happened. Um, I think that's pretty interesting, but that's pretty significant that these men who were well studied had an idea of what was happening in the skies, had an idea of what was happening in the scriptures, and they followed that gut instinct to find and search fulfillment in a king born as a baby. This prophecy in the Jewish scripture and the scientific findings of, this, of these mysterious Gentile Magi men is evidence that all of humanity, all of humanity has been waiting and anticipating a gift. Waiting and a fulfillment of the Messiah King that will satisfy the longings of all humanity. So not only is it in the Jewish writings that this Messiah will come in this way, but we also see these Gentile men who are scientists looking into the stars, recognizing that there is this Messiah coming as a king, as a baby, and they're pursuing who he is. It's interesting. This is in scripture, guys. This is not like a, you know, just a random history book, right? Like, this is interesting. And so for us today, the reality is this. This is our big idea. This is the big idea for us, and I think for the people then, that Jesus is the gift we've all been waiting for. Jesus is the gift we have all been waiting for, Jew or Gentile. Everyone is looking, this is the truth, everyone is looking for some kind of fulfillment, something to fulfill our hearts and our souls. That we look into many things, many areas, right? Kids looking for it in Christmas gifts. But us as adults, we look for it in many places like, like money. Thinking that money and comfort through that will, will satisfy and fulfill us. Or power or prestige, strong roles that will, people will look up to us. Or sex or comfort or influence that you can have leadership and that will fulfill you. Or love and recognition, that that would fulfill you. Or appreciation from those who love you. Just, that's all I want, and I'll be fulfilled. 
a lot of us would ask or think. I see, these are not bad things. These are all good things. They can be good and they can be good for us. But the reality is, is that they are not good enough. They will all fall short. They will not fulfill us. They do not ultimately just fulfill the hearts of our longings that we so desire. Our longings for peace, it will not fulfill. Our longings for pure joy, it will not fulfill. Our longings for ultimate security and protection, they will not fulfill. Our longings for health, just to be healthy, they will not fulfill. Our longings for unconditional love, that someone can just love me for who I am and I don't have to fully explain it every time, they will not fulfill. These longings are innate. Why do we long for these things? They are innate in us because we are made for heaven. We were created for the garden. We were created in the likeness and image of God. So these longings of unconditional love, of security, of health, of joy, all these things are longings of our soul because we are made to be with God. Only he can provide a fulfillment of these longings that we have. They were, we were made in the likeness of him. See, this is, why, this is why the gift of Jesus is all that we've been waiting for. All the waitings, all the longings, all the desires of our hearts and needs is all fulfilled within the person and divinity of Jesus. All of it. He culminates all of our longings, which is our first point. We only have two points today. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longings. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longings. A lot of us are like, yeah, heard of that one. See, he is the creator of our entire being. So what does that mean? That he created our longings. He created our desires and knows how to satisfy them more than we could ever think or imagine. See, he knows us more than we know ourselves. And he is committed to fulfilling our longings, some today and now, and the rest forever in eternity with him. To grasp that is important. That some of the longings and desires of our hearts can be fulfilled today and now, but majority of them are actually for heaven, for eternity to be fulfilled with him forever and ever. You see, we see the Magi here, they're also coming into a place where they have expectancy. Like, like they're giving a lot of themselves and they're expectant that they are going to be fulfilled when they see King Jesus, this baby. We see the Magi in our story longing for an answer to who this king is. Who is this person? They are so inspired and desperate to be fulfilled that they take on, they say, a two-year journey to find this baby. That's how committed they were and expectant they were. They even got to the point where they recruited and gathered a big entourage and put their whole reputation on the line because they, they recruited all of these people and say, trust me, follow us. We're going to find this king. And they all, everyone that was a part of the entourage was like, all right, let's go. So they put their reputation on the line to find this king. 
Because traveling ain't cheap, right? I mean, they put a lot out there. And they brought a generous gift to Jesus. See, they clearly had a high expectation of King Jesus here. See, the Magi's gifts, they're super significant to who he is. They are significant for us to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of our longings. These gifts represent something significant, very significant. And I'm not even sure if the Magi themselves knew the significance of what they were bringing. They knew the cost. They knew how much they were. They knew the worth, but they didn't know the significance as much as we probably would look at it now and be like, whoa. You see, these gifts point to who Jesus is and why he fulfills who we need in our lives. He is the fulfillment because when we say, when, when the gifts are gold, the Magi bring gold, the gold represents royalty. The gold represents kingship. The gold represents that the king is being gifted what he is worth, which is gold, because he is the king. So he is fulfilling the role as king as they are giving a gift of gold. What does it mean? Why is it significant that a king fulfills us? The king's role is to rule, is to be on the throne, is to guide, is to lead. And a lot of the times, like I shared last week, we tend to be the king of our own life. But Jesus here is saying, I will be your king. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will represent you. So gold, as the gift comes, represents Jesus' royalty. And then frankincense represent Jesus' deity. Frankincense were actually incense that were meant and used for the holy of holies in the temple of God. They were used by priests. And so this representation, this fulfillment is the divine incense, is the divine priesthood of Jesus. Why is this important? Because a priest is someone that represents between God and humanity. He steps in the gap between God and humanity and says, forgive them, O God, for they know not what they do. And they usually bring a sacrifice or they light incense. And so Jesus here is represented as the divine priest, the perfect priest. And third, we see Jesus being given myrrh. What is myrrh? Myrrh is actually used for burial. Myrrh is a representation of Jesus' humanity. Jesus is a representa- uh, myrrh is a representation of Jesus' humanity. That he fulfills his perfect human role. That he is understood as a, uh, a person that came sympathizing with us as his people. Not only is he king and divine in his priesthood, he is also the perfect human that's come to be with his people. What a huge understanding of the fulfillment of who Jesus is, that he is the king, that he is the priest, and that he's the perfect human that has come to fulfill humanity. I love what Hebrews says in this understanding of who he is through his priesthood and through his humanity. It says this in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He is the perfect king, priest, and man. So because of this truth, my second point as we close out, Jesus is deserving of our worship. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longing. Therefore, Jesus is deserving of our worship. You see, when we look through this passage, there is four major responses that the people in this passage are giving. And I think it's essential for us to look at these four responses and consider, are these four responses similar to the responses we are giving towards Jesus as king? What are these four responses? The first one we see is when these magi came to Herod and shared, hey, we think the king of the Jews is here. Obviously, the magi don't recognize the relationship between Herod and the king of the Jews idea, but they bring it to him and they bring forth a statement that angers Herod, right? This is the first response we see when they respond. Anger is the first major response, right? It said King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. And later on, after this passage, we see that he was so angry that he declared that they go and kill all, two, all young males, boys, two or younger, and massacre them throughout the region. That's how angry he was towards this idea of a king coming to be born. So that's the first response we see. The second response we see is that the people of Jerusalem were anxious. There was anxiety driven around this idea of King Jesus being born. They were unsure, right? They were distraught. They didn't know what to, what to grasp of it, right? They were confused and didn't know how to respond. So what now is the thought? So there's anger and there's anxiety. The third one, there's apathy. Apathy coming from the priests and the scribes. What is apathy like? Eh, okay, how do we know that? We see here in verse four, these are the priests and the scribes, these are the religious rulers, the, the leaders of the understanding of scripture of that time. This is what happens in verse four. He called a meeting, Herod called a meeting, of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And they go and share what the prophecy was. You see, it was a matter of fact type of response to this idea that the Messiah has come. We have to understand how big of a deal this is because it didn't click for them. The Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, the one that their ancestors have been waiting for forever has come, and they're just a matter of fact just responding by, hey, this is what the prophecy says, and they do nothing else about it. They just give an answer to the king, like, yeah, this is what happens, knowing what the king wants to do after the fact, go and kill him. There was an apathy. There was a, they were so used to their job. They were so used to just serving the king that, that it wasn't anything that they even responded to. It was like, eh. Okay, that's significant. So we see three responses, anger, anxiety, apathy, and the fourth one we see, 
adoration. Adoration. Who do we see adoration from? From the Magi. Adoration is worship. They come and worship. See, this is mind-blowing for us to understand that the first people, the first people to worship Jesus, who is the king of the Jews, they weren't even Jews. You see, this is the continued uh, theme that Matthew was trying to bring out in, in the first chapter, that the king of the Jews, Jesus, is not just the king of the Jews, but he is the king of all nations. He is the king of all. He is breaking every barrier. He's breaking every wall down, declaring that King Jesus, the baby, is the king of the world. How significant that is. So then how do we then respond in understanding of these four responses that we see? Are we responding in a sense of anger? What do I mean by that? I mean... Has Jesus put a wrench in the way you're hoping your life was going to play out? Has Jesus um, maybe gave you a different perspective of what you thought your life would be, and it's a little frustrating for you, just like it was for Herod? Maybe your response wouldn't be similar to Herod's response, because that was extreme, but maybe there's just a sense of frustration, or that you have questions for, for God, like, God, what the heck? There's a, there's a frustration. And I want to tell you that God's not upset with you if you feel that way. God, God's not intimidated by that. God's not upset or angry at you for feeling a sense of anger or tension. Actually, God wants to meet you there. He would love to talk to you. He would love to help you grasp more of what his intent was. And us, some of our leadership here, we'd love to talk to you as well if you have questions about that. But God is not upset with you. He wants to respond in kindness and in grace, just like he's responded to all of us that way. Or maybe you're responding like the, the people of Jerusalem at the time, that they were anxious. They were uncertain. They didn't know what to do. They were confused because they were filled with worry and the unknown. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're, you're filled with worry and unknowing of what, what does this all mean? Do I have to change the way I live? Do I have to figure out a new way of living? What, what does this mean that Jesus has come? What does this mean that he is my king now? How do I respond? Maybe there's anxiety around that. And, and what steps am I supposed to take? See, many times in scripture, God says to his people, do not worry or don't be afraid because I am with you. He says that over and over throughout scripture because he knows the people of God are an anxious people when they don't fully grasp who is with them. See, we aren't God. We aren't the rulers of our own life. We aren't supposed to know every step of the way. We aren't supposed to know what's going to happen next. But we are serving and worshiping a God who does. He knows. And will we trust him today? He is with you. Let us trust him today. So if you're struggling with that anxiety of response, will you trust him? Third response is apathy. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're like, eh. Man, I've heard this passage, I've heard this message, I've heard Jesus so many times, I've been to church so many times, it's all cool, it's great, you know, I love to come and sing songs, it's cool, you know, it's all right, kind of apathetic about it, 
You know, you're still driven maybe by the reality that your fulfillments are coming from other things like your pursuit of money or, or your pursuit of prestige or your pursuit of love from others or your pursuit of fulfillment in, in what others think of you. But I want to tell you today that only by the power of the Spirit that he can shake your heart and soul to really grasp the fulfillment of who he is to you. This isn't something that we can just snap out of. But the reality is, in our apathy, we are pursuing an unending, like chasing of the tail, like a dogwood. We're just pursuing a fulfillment that will continue to cause us to chase and chase, but it's right in front of our face that Jesus is all we desire and need. Or are we the fourth? Are we the magi? Are we the magi who are sending and surrendering their hearts towards adoration to the king? The deserving king, the one who is willingly surrendering his ways, his life, his kingship to come to earth to be with his people. Our entire life, are we surrendering it to worship him fully and to follow obediently, trusting his ways over our own ways, over our own thoughts, over our own desires? Because as we wait for his eventual return to restore all things back to its original intent that fulfills all creation back to what it was intended for. He is the only one that can provide that. He is the only one. Jesus is the gift and fulfillment of our story. He is deserving of all of our worship. So as we reflect on the narrative of the Magi and their story and their background and who they are, as we grasp the significance of Jesus as the gift we've all been waiting for, he fulfills the deepest longings of our heart. And he deserves our highest worship and adoration, all of it. Just as the Magi offered their treasures, we are also called to present our lives our time, our talents, and treasures as an offering to Jesus, acknowledging his lordship over all the aspects of our existence because he fulfills all of our needs. See, may this be a season where we uh, serve as a reminder, may it serve as a reminder that Jesus is the ultimate gift, the fulfillment of our longing and the worthy recipient of all of our worship. Let us bow before him with hearts full of gratitude and adoration. For he is the savior who brings salvation, who brings hope, and who brings eternal life for our souls. Sometimes it's hard to grasp all that when we're in the midst of trying to figure out all the details of our day-to-day life. We're trying to figure out all the money, all the situations, who am I buying gifts for, who am I gonna go do that for? But I would encourage us to take a pause, to take a moment to surrender and pause and recognize, wait a minute, this is cool, but my intent and my purpose, first and foremost, is that I am surrendered to the king and he's got me. And all these other things, they're cool. They'll happen and we'll celebrate Christmas and love our family well, but to always remember that we worship the king and he is the reason why we are here this morning. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the king on the throne, that the magi went on a hunt and a search for their fulfillment, and they found it in you, Jesus. 
a Gentile people that were mysterious and unknown, but yet they searched for their fulfillment. They found it in King Jesus, King of the Jews. That the King of the Jews now is the King of all creation, the King of all humanity for those that surrender their life and surrender their ways and surrender their understanding to him, to you, Jesus. What great news that is that you came and you died and surrendered your life so that we can live, so that we can have life abundant and forever. We thank you that you died for us, that you rose from the grave to prove that, to finalize that, and to finish that because you are who you say you are and we are who you say you, we are. And we thank you for that truth, Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and we exalt you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.